the kind of Father, we thank you for your still life. Thank you for your watching goodness upon us. Thank you that we can come and study your word. I pray, dear Lord, that as I see you and I go through the first part of the sanctuary study, that you would bless us, that we can do your will. We can make it plain so others can understand it. Please forgive us, we pray, for all our sins. Keep us from harm and danger. Bless and protect us. Bless and protect those who will be listening to this study. Bless them with wisdom that they can understand. Forgive us, we pray, for all our sins. Wash us thoroughly from our iniquities. Give us power to overcome the evil one. Help that we not be led into temptation. But Father, you deliver us all the time from evil. We ask that when time comes to an end, we'll be able to go home with you. We ask these mercies in Jesus' name. Amen. The study that we'll be doing is the Sanctuary Part 1. In Exodus chapter 25, verse 8 and 9, this is what God said to Moses. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell. Now, another meaning of the word dwell is to rest. That I may dwell or rest among them. According to all that I showed thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instrument thereof, even so shall we make it. About four times in the first five, about eight verses of Exodus chapter 25, God keep reminding Moses that the things that he will be doing as far as the construction of the sanctuary, they should be done, they should be made according to the pattern. And he told Moses more than one time, several times, that they should be holy because he's holy. If the earthly temple is make, made after a pattern, then that pattern, as Paul pointed out in the book of Hebrews, there's a pattern, there's an original in heaven. So the earthly temple was just a pattern of what was in heaven. Now, when God made the God of Eden, and we're going to be looking at it, he would meet with Adam and Eve face to face. So they did not need a building. But because of sin, the actual presence of God was taken away. And here we have now, when the children of Israel left Egypt, they were now in the wilderness, God is now going to come to make a tabernacle where he could meet with them without them being killed, where he could meet with them without the glory of God would be intimidating to them. You know, when Jesus came to this earth in one of our studies, we saw that his name was called Emmanuel, God with us. In that case, God came down in human form. He was clothed in humanity. And we're going to come to these things as we go through, but again, in Revelation, God is going to live with his people. He's going to tabernacle with them. Now let's look at how some of these things were set up and let's see how God always dwells with his people and is always in the midst. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, garden in Eden. Just to point out, it's not a garden of Eden, but it was a garden in Eden. 
And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So in the middle of this garden, we are the tree of life. Verse 10, and a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. So the garden in Eden had the tree of life in the midst of it. And then the river of life flowed out from the midst of that garden and flowed throughout the earth. Now look at this description that John has given us in Revelation chapter 21, verse 22, verse 2 and 3, for the new Jerusalem. And I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. If you remember, that's the same, just about the same statement that was used in Exodus chapter 25, when God was given to Moses the instruction to build a temple. Let them make a tabernacle that I may dwell among them. You know, many of the falls religion or pagan religion have gods but those gods their dwelling is far from the people not so with the creator of the heaven the earth the sea and the fountain of water he wants to dwell with his creature he wants to dwell with humanity so here we have god john is saying i heard a great voice out of heaven saying Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Continue in Revelation chapter 22. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceed out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. So in the garden in Eden, when God created this earth, and the garden of Eden was on this earth, in the midst of that garden, we had the tree of life, we have the river of life. With the new Jerusalem, and many people believe the new Jerusalem is just the garden of Eden restored to the earth, in the midst of the Garden of Eden, we have the throne of God. In the midst of it, we have the tree of life. In the midst of it, we have the river of life. So the same way that the Garden of Eden was set up is the same way the New Jerusalem was set up. So God's presence was in the midst of the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve met on the seventh day to worship God in the Garden of Eden. They were in the midst, right by the tree of life. And he said, the tree of life yield her fruits every month. And the leaves of a tree were for the healing of the nation. Now, when we go to the 
Numbers chapter 2 with the children of Israel in the wilderness. We found by reading chapter 2, and I'm just going to go right here and then we're going to go over it verse by verse, that God placed the camp. Here's the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is in the middle of the camp. And then you have the tribes surrounding the camp. And then the mixed multitude would be on the outer borders beyond those 12 tribes. Now let's look, take a look to see how the camp was set up. Numbers chapter 2, verse 3. And on the east side, towards the rising of the sun, shall they of the standard of the camp of Judah be set up. And verse Genesis chapter 49, verse 9. Judah is a lion's well. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion. So therefore, on the east side, we are the entrance to the camp. We are the tribe of Judah. And the standard for that tribe was a lion. Genesis, I mean, Numbers chapter 2, verse 5. And those that do pitch next to him shall be the tribe of Issachar, right here, and then the tribe of Zebulun. So on the east side, you have the standard of Judah, which is the lion, and you have Zebulun and Issachar with Judah on the east side. Numbers chapter 10, 2, verse 10. On the south side shall be the standard of Reuben. So here's Reuben on the south side and the standard of Reuben is man. Then in chapter, verse 12 and 14 and those which pitch by him shall be the tribe of Simeon Simeon, tribe of Simeon right here and then the tribe of Gad right here. Numbers chapter 2, verse 18. On the west side shall be the standard of the camp of Ephraim. So here's the tribe of Ephraim. The standard for Ephraim is a bull. Verse 20 and 22. And by him shall be the tribe of Manasseh and the tribe of Benjamin. So here we have the tribe of Manasseh. Here we have the tribe of Benjamin. Numbers chapter 2, verse 25. The standard of the camp of Dan shall be on the north side. So on the north side we have Dan, and the standard of the tribe of Dan was an eagle. And verse 27, verse 29. And those that encamp by him shall be the tribe of Asher and the tribe of Nathaniel. So let's look at it again. You have 12 tribes, three on each side of the camp, and one standard on each side. So three tribes on the east side should be under the standard of Judah, which is a lion. Then on the south side, you, they would be under the standard of Reuben, which is a man. And on the west side, they would be under the standard of Ephraim, which is a bull. And on the north side, 
there will be a standard of Dan, which is eagle. Now, when we remember in Revelation how the New Jerusalem will be set up, remember there are three gates on each side. The reason why the earthly sanctuary only had one gate was that only the priest's family would go in to minister. But Peter told us that we are a royal, a holy nation, a royal people. We are, high, we are priests of God. So in the new earth, all tribes will have access through their gate into the new Jerusalem. And in the middle of the earthly encampment, we have the tabernacle. And in the middle of the tabernacle, we have the holy and most holy place. And in the middle of the holy and most holy place, in the middle of the most holy place, we have the ark that contained the testimony, which was the Ten Commandments. God is always in the middle. God is always in the middle of his people. Revelation chapter 4 after this, I look, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was as it were a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which, which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. Now let's go over to Revelation 5, 1 and 2. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the back side, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seal thereof? And one of the elders said to me, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Notice that Jesus is called the lion because he's from the tribe of Judah. He's a true lion. And he, remember, the standard of the camp of Judah was lion. And here we have the Bible is telling us that, yep, we are correct. Jesus, who came from, the lion, from Judah, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So therefore, the lion here is representing Jesus. The root and the offspring of David had prevailed to open the book and to loose the very seal. Now let's go back to Revelation chapter 4, continuing with the description when the door was opened and, and John walked, was able to see into the temple where God himself, the Father, was seated. In front of the throne was something like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Remember we said in the the New Jerusalem, it had a river of life. Remember we said in the Garden of Eden, it had a river of life. Remember, in Israel, they had a rock that gave them water. So this, those symbolism are always present where God is. So like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the midst of the throne, on an east side of the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes, in front and in back. These living creatures were right around the throne of God. Now let's see the description of the living creatures. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion, 
Now, if you remember, in the earthly tabernacle, Judah, the standard of Judah was a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. Remember we said that Ephraim had the standard of a bull or an ox. The third living creature was like a human face. Remember we said the standard of the camp of Reuben in the wilderness was a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Remember we said again, the standard of the tribe of Dan on the north side of camp was an eagle. So then we can see the layout of the wilderness tabernacle when the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel, which set up their camp was identical to how the, the heavenly tabernacle is layout. The same thing in heaven is just a pattern of what Moses set up on earth. God is always in the middle. Now let's go to Exodus chapter 25, verse 20 to 22. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. The ark that we're speaking about here is in the most holy place. And we're going to come to it again later. Half a cubit shall be the length thereof. A cubit and a half shall be the breadth thereof. And a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold within and without shalt thou overlay it. And shall make upon it a crown of gold round about. Now, the board that's used in the construction of the tabernacle represents humanity. The board is always overlaid with something. It's overlaid with either gold or silver or brass. Because the gold, the silver, and the brass represent Jesus' righteousness. So over our humanity, we need always to have Jesus' righteousness. Exodus 25, 10 through 22. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it. Here we can see three of the rings. The rings were placed at each end. Two rings on one side and two rings on one side. Thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in one side of it and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shitting wood and overlay them with gold. And you can see the staves, two staves, one on each side, through the two rings on each side. And thou shalt put the staves into the ring by the side of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The stave shall be in the ring of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. The reason why I read that last sentence slow is just to remind us. I want you, I hope that you remember when David was transporting the ark, he placed it on a cart. Notice the specific instruction. They shall not be taken from it, the staves, because the ark was carried by priests 
with the staves being carried on their shoulder. It was never to be placed on a cart. So when Oza died, you know, some people reading it will look at it and say, you know, God is hard. He killed Oza when Oza was trying to prevent the ark from falling down. You see, when God says something, he's not going to keep saying it over and over and over. When God gives us instruction, he, his intent, even if there are several generations later on, his intent is that we teach our children so that they can know and understand. They need to remember so they don't violate God's clear instruction. So the purpose of the state was so that the priest could carry the ark on their shoulder. Continue reading verse 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony, and notice the testimony, is the Ten Commandments, which I shall give thee. Continue reading in Exodus chapter 25, verse 17. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubic and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims. You see the instruction? And God said to Moses over and over, you must make it after the pattern. You're not going to make the mercy seat of a bigger dimension or a smaller dimension. You're not going to make four angels and put on top of it. You're going to make two cherubims of gold, not of silver, not of copper, but of gold. Of beaten work shall thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat, not in the middle, but in the two ends of the mercy seat. And the cherubim shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their face shall look one to another towards the mercy seat. Not away, not to the left, not to the right, but they need to look towards each other, and then the face would be looking down towards the mercy seat. Shall the face of the cherubims be? Now, in the book of Ezekiel, God was giving Ezekiel uh, a prophecy. And he's using the king of Kairos to represent Lucifer. Now listen to the instruction here that was given to Ezekiel. Starting in Ezekiel chapter 28, 14 to 15. Thou art the anointed cherub that cover it. Now, again, remember, if we should go back to the mercy seat, you have two angels that symbolically stood on either side of the glory of God because God's glory was going to be in the middle on top of the mercy seat. So those two angels were covering cherubims. And notice that Lucifer was used to be one of the covering cherubim before he fell. And that's what God is saying to Ezekiel here, using the king of Tyrus as a symbol of Lucifer. Thou art the anointed cherubim that cover it, and I set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stone of fire. Thou was perfect in thy ways 
from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found in thee. So the depiction that we use today of, of Satan being some type of creature with horns coming out of his head and he has feet like animals may not be as accurate. You know, there are creatures like that as described in the Bible. But this angel, Lucifer, used to be one of the most beautiful angel or creature that God had created. And he used to stand right next to God in heaven. God's throne, as we will study later on in another study of the sanctuary, God's throne, in the throne of God, is the Ten Commandments. And Satan, Lucifer, his name Lucifer at the time, not Satan, Satan came in, was the name after he fell. But Lucifer would stand right next to God, God sitting on his throne, and inside the throne of God is the Ten Commandments. Now, Lucifer hate the Ten Commandments, and today he is putting in the heart of men to try to do away and forget God's Ten Commandments. Let's go back now again to Exodus chapter 25, verse 21. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony, which is the Ten Commandments, that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony of all the things which I shall give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. So God's presence, symbolically here, God's presence, there will be a light right in the middle between the two angels, right on top of the mercy seat. And that's where God's presence would be. And notice it's called mercy seat. In the, in the ark, we have the Ten Commandments. But right above the ark is God's mercy. And, you know, we should be happy for it. Because even though the law is there, there's still mercy with God's presence there. Now, it's interesting. There's a Roman Catholic church in Chicago. And in this Roman Catholic church, right at the front, they have a symbolism of this ark that was in the earthly tabernacle. There is the ark here. There is a, a crescent moon. There are angels with their wings spread out. And there is a person sitting on this ark. It's in the Ro a Roman Catholic Church in the state of Illinois in the United States. Now, we're going to zoom in to see who is sitting on top of the mercy seat. Remember God told Moses that he would meet with him or with the high priest in the tabernacle. His presence would be on this mercy seat. Now, in this Roman Catholic Church, we're going to see who is on that mercy seat. And here we have it. Here we have Mary 
sitting on top of the mercy seat, sitting on a crescent moon in the stomach area of Mary is where to put the host. That's not what God said should be on the mercy seat. Mary is not a God. Mary is not a co-redeemer. The Bible said there's one mediator between God and man. And that mediator is Christ Jesus. There's nowhere in the Bible that Mary is sitting on top of the mercy seat. Mary is not a God. God's presence would be on the mercy seat. Human cannot make an idol. Human cannot promote Mary and put Mary in a crescent moon on top of the mercy seat and the host within her stomach and say that a depiction of what God instructed Moses to do. Remember, over and over, God said to Moses, when you make it, you must make it after the pattern that I'm showing you. Not after the pattern here of how it's depicted in the Roman Catholic Church with Mary sitting on the ark. Exodus chapter 25, verse 23, back to the description that God gave to Moses in the wilderness. Verse 23, Thou shalt also make a table of shitting wood. The table is in the most holy place opposite the candlestick here. The table is over on, on the north side. You can see very good here because the candlestick is in front of it. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. So here's a table, and because it contains the bread, it's called the table with the showbread. Exodus chapter 25, verse 24. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. So it's made out of shitting wood, representing the humanity, but it's covered with gold, representing the righteousness of Christ. And make thereof a crown of gold round about. Verse 26. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, four rings, two on each side, again, so that it can be carried. In the corner that are on the four feet thereof. So the ring of gold should be placed on each foot. Four feet, one on each foot. Verse 27. Over it against the border, shall the ring be for place of the scale to bear the table. So the ring should be close to the top. Notice the specific instruction that's being given. The rings shouldn't be at the bottom of, the, of each foot. It should be at the top, close to the crown of the table. Verse 28. And thou shalt make the staves of shitting wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be born with them. So the ark with the Ten Commandments should be carried. The table here should be carried. You know, again, the representative of this, or the reason why God is saying this, is that all of these things represent Jesus. 
Remember, when Jesus came to this earth, and he ministered for three and a half years, and then he was going to die at the time of the Passover in AD 31. He was going to die on the evening, the 14th day of the seventh month at Passover. When they tried him and they found him not guilty, several times it was stated that he was not guilty. There was no iniquity in him. But he came to die for us. When they decided to crucify him, they placed the cross on his shoulders for him to carry. So all of the vessels here in the sanctuary that represent Jesus, that's why they were made with rings. Staves were put in them so that they be, could be carried. Because symbolically, Jesus would have to carry the cross. Exodus chapter 25, verse 13 now, we come to the showbread. And thou shalt set upon the table the showbread before me always. Always. We're going to come to some things that God said should be in the sanctuary always. The bread should be in the sanctuary always. So the bread, they were placed on top of the table. Leviticus chapter 24, verse 5 to 6. Thou shalt take fine flour and bake 12 cakes thereof. One cake for each tribe. Not 13 cakes, not 10 cakes, not 100 cakes, 12 cakes representing one for each tribe. Verse 6. And thou shalt set them in two rows, not three rows, not four rows, but two rows upon the pure table before the Lord. Now, when Jesus was on earth, Jesus said, He is the living bread. John chapter 6, verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which will be given for the life of the world. Now, brothers and sisters, symbolically, God used 12 bread, representing the 12 tribe from Israel. But if you remember, Paul said that we, and Jesus said also that Everyone who believe and follow God, just like Abraham, they become ears with Abraham. You remember in one of our studies, God said, In thy seed, speaking to Abraham, through thy seed, all nations of the earth would be blessed. So the 12 cakes here, representing the 12 tribe of Israel, is a symbol also of the whole nation, the entire world, humanity living in the world. And Jesus, the bread of life, is available to all. So we're going to see every item in the earthly tabernacle represent Jesus. And Jesus is available not just to Israel, but to the entire world. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 
The seven lampstand. Exodus chapter 25, verse 31. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. So here's a candlestick. It's in the holy place of the earthly sanctuary. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft, his branches, his bowls, his knops, his flowers shall be of the same. Now, in most of the items in the sanctuary, I'm just reading a short description. There's more detailed description given to how it should be made, the material, and for each of the texts that you see on the screen, you can then go and read that entire chapter. So when you read chapter 25 of Exodus, you're going to get a vast description. Then you can read also in Leviticus, and he's going to go over it again. But in order for the lesson to be short, I'm just reading few verses. These are not the only verses in the Bible that uh, speak about the construction of the temple and the instrument. Again, the seven branch, lampstand. This is an artistic depiction of how it should look. Exodus chapter 25, verse 32 to 34. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out of one side and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side. So you should not have five branches on one side with a center or four branches. It should be a middle branch right here and then you have three branches on one side and three branches on the other side. Remember, God said to Moses, you must make everything according to the pattern that I show you. The original, the pattern, the great type was in heaven. And this one on earth is as a shadow. Verse 33. Three bowls made like unto almonds with a knot and a flowers in one branch. And three bowls made like an almond in the other branch with a knot and a flowers. So in the six branches that come out of the candlestick, the bowls were for where to pour the oil so that the oil would supply light to the candle as they burn. Verse 34, and in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knots and their flowers. Exodus chapter 27, verse 10. And thou shalt command the children of Israel that they bring thee pure olive oil, beaten for the light, to cause the lamp to burn always. When we do our study on the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, we're going to see the importance of the always, the continually. So the bread should be there always. The light should be there always because the light was the, the lamp here was a source of light to the inside of the tabernacle. Jesus is the light of the world. We saw earlier, Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the light. John chapter 8, verse 12. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. 
He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness. That is sin. Darkness here is a representation of sin. But shall have the light of life. And that's what John said in John chapter 1. In him was light. And the light was the light of men. And the light shining darkness, when he came to this earth, the darkness did not comprehend it. So Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the gold. Jesus is the light. The curtain of the tabernacle. Exodus chapter 26 verse 1. Moreover, thou shalt make the tabernacle with ten curtains of fine twine linen and blue and purple and scarlet with cherubims of cunning work shalt thou make them. Thou shalt make curtains of gold here to be a covering upon the tabernacle. Eleven curtains shalt thou make. So the first layer was of blue and purple and fine twine linen. Then the second layer was of gold here. Continue reading verse 14. Thou shalt make a covering of the ten tent of ram skin dyed red and a covering of badger skin. So we have the first covering, blue and purple and fine twine linen. Then we had the goats here. Then the ram skin dyed red and then the badger skin. Now brothers and sisters, when the camp was set up, and the tabernacle was set up, and a person walked from afar, walking and looking at the camp, and if they should, would be able to see the tabernacle, all they would see is just a badger skin of blue. It would just look nothing beautiful. But when you get inside, inside the holy, inside the most holy place with the gold, and the light and the, the work of cherubims carved into the gold. Brothers and sisters, the beauty would be indescribable. You see, the Bible tells us that when we look at Jesus, there's nothing in him, there's nothing in him that would attract, oh, you know, nothing to show beauty, nothing that we would be attracted to him. To look at him and his just outward appearance for beauty. But when we get to know him on the inside, the glory, the beauty that came up, came from within is indescribable. It's the same thing with the sanctuary. The sanctuary itself on the outside, just badger skin. But when you get on the inside, oh, what beauty to see. Exodus chapter 26, verse 15 to 16. And thou shalt make boards for the tabernacle of shitting wood standing up. Ten cubits shall be the length of each board. And a cubit and a half shall be the breadth of each board. Ten cubits is about 15 feet, the minimum of 15 feet. A cubit and a half 
is over two feet. So these boards were 10, almost 15 feet tall and width and depth would be over two feet. These are thick, heavy boards. 20 boards on the south side, southward. 20 boards. Each board 15 feet tall, over two feet wide, and two feet deep. 20 boards. Verse 20 of Exodus chapter 26. For the second side of the tabernacle, on the north side, there shall be 20 boards. Again, there were 15 feet tall, and they were two feet wide, and two feet, about two feet, two inches wide and deep. So we can see these are heavy boards, 20 boards on the south, 20 board on the north. On the west side, we have six board. And this is the west side. We have six board. And again, the boards were 10 cubic tall. That was 15 feet, and they are the same dimension, roughly about over two feet, three inches thick. Chapter 26 and verse 23. Two boards shall thou make for the corners. They are the two corners. So there were two boards for the corner of the tabernacle in the two sides. And the purpose of the corner boards now was to hold all the boards, the boards on the north, the boards on the south, the boards on the west, the corner board, everything now would be supported. Now, again, I'm not reading all the description, but through the boards, they have a tenon that run right through the boards to keep them together, right through the boards to keep them together. You have sockets that held the board upright. And you can read all of this in Exodus chapter 26. Again, to make the study short, I'm not going through all the description. I want you to read the description. I'm going through just an overview. Numbers chapter 35, verse 7. Now, when we add the boards, we have 20 boards, 20 boards, 6 boards, and two corner boards, you're going to notice that there are 48 boards. We're going to come to that later on again. But notice in Exodus chapter 35, verse 7, all the cities which ye shall give unto the Levites shall be 48 cities. In, in Numbers chapter 35, verse, continue reading in verse 11, then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person unawares. Joshua 21, verse 41. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty and eight 
cities. The 48 cities were called cities of refuge. If someone, whether they be a stranger living in Israel or an actual Israelite, if they should kill someone and they did not do it intentionally, they would run to one of these cities and notice the cities were called cities of refuge. Why cities of refuge? They would run to the cities and they could find refuge. So that the person who wanted to avenge the blood of the person who was killed would not be able to kill them. They could go and stay in the city. And we're going to come to the explanation in a few verses. They could stay in the city and they would be protected from those or anyone who wanted to kill them. There were 48 cities of refuge in Israel. Brothers and sisters, notice there were 48 boards that were used in the construction of the holy and the most holy place. Each board represented one of the cities of refuge. Now notice in Numbers chapter 35, verse 11 through 12. Then ye shall appoint you cities to be cities of refuge for you, that the slayer may flee thither, which killeth any person unawares. And they shall be unto you cities for refuge from the avenger, that the man slayer die not, until he stand before the congregation in judgment. So the person would flee to the city of refuge. There would be a judgment. And if he had killed the person unawares, he would, give him, he would be given refuge inside the city. Continue reading in verse 25. And the congregation shall deliver the slayer out of the hand of the avenger of blood. And the congregation shall restore him to the city of his refuge, whether he was fled, and he shall abide in it until the death of the high priest, which was anointed with the holy oil. So, brothers and sisters, if a person living in Israel, whether that person was an Israelite or a stranger, because remember what God said, one law, and one manner of law shall be for him that is homeborn and for the stranger that is among you. So, if a stranger or an Israelite kill a person and they did not intentionally lay way to kill the person, they would flee right away to the city of refuge because the avenger of blood had the right to kill them. But if they fled and ran, run and get to the city of refuge, then they were supposed to be allowed to get in. They could remain in that city until the death of the high priest. When that high priest died, that person now had the right to leave the city of refuge and go back to their home and they could live. The avenger of blood could not at that point kill the person. Brothers and sisters, all of this are symbols. Remember, there's an earthly tabernacle, there's a heavenly tabernacle. The high priest represents Jesus Christ. Just as the person who killed the person unawares would flee to the city of refuge, remain in the city of refuge, 
until the death of the earthly high priest, then he could have right to go back to his inheritance. It's the same way we have sinned. And Jesus came to this earth and died for us. And because Jesus has died for us, we now have a right to go back into the new earth. So when Jesus returned the second time, all those who have trust in him, because he died, those who trust in him can now go back and live in the new earth. Adam and Eve sinned. And because of their sin, they were put out of the new earth. But remember what God said in Genesis 3, verse 15. He promised to send that seed. And he renewed a covenant to Abraham. Brothers and sisters, the covenant was not just for Abraham and Israel. The covenant is for the entire world. That's what many Christians today don't understand. They said these things were given to Israel. Yes, they were given to Israel, but they were for the entire world. Even the stranger living in Israel, they live un under the same laws that Israel lived under. And just as in when that person who killed someone unawares and could flee to the city of refuge. Notice again, brothers and sisters, in Joshua chapter 20, 46. And when he that doth flee unto one of these cities shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and shall declare his cause in the ears of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city unto them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. And if the avenger of blood pursue after him, then they shall not deliver the slayer up into his hand because he smote his neighbor unwittingly and hated him not before time. And he shall dwell in that city until he stand before the congregation for judgment, until the death of the high priest. That shall be in those days. Then shall the slayer return and come into his own city and unto his own house, unto the city from whence he fled. Brothers and sisters, look at the beauty of the symbolism of this. When we sin, we can run to Jesus. We can run for refuge. We can run from the avenger of blood. We can run from the devil. And God will in no wise cast us out. He will take us in. Because that's the reason why he sent Jesus to this earth. So that Jesus can die. When Jesus died on that cross, at the time of the Passover, on the 14th day of that first month, in AD 31, all of us at that time now have the right to be able to go back. All we have to do is accept Jesus. The creator who created us came to this earth, took on the form of a man, and he died for us. Buddha didn't do that. Krishna didn't do that. Mohammed didn't do that. Of all the prophets, of all the human beings 
that have ever lived on this earth, there is, there is only one who did that, and that is the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Creator, as John said, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that Word who was with God in the beginning, and that Word who was God, in John chapter 1, verse 1, that's the Creator who created the earth, who came to this earth and died for us. Brothers and sisters, Muhammad didn't die for us. Muhammad might have been a good prophet, but Muhammad didn't die for us. Buddha might have been a good man, but Buddha didn't create us and then come back and die for us. Krishna might have been a good man. Today he might have many followers, but brothers and sisters, Krishna didn't die for us. The pastors, they don't die for us. The Pope don't die for us. The priests don't die for us. None of these people created us. Mary didn't die for us. Mary didn't create us. Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of Jesus who took on humanity. Mary needed a savior just like you and me. She can't save us. You can read what Mary said when she went to visit Elizabeth in the book of Luke. And she was praising God that a savior was coming to this earth. So Mary did not save us. None of those people save us. There's only one mediator between God and man. And as we are seeing here, everything in the earthly sanctuary represented Jesus. Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. The eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. Mary is not the eternal God. Neither Buddha. Neither Confucius. Neither Krishna. And he shall trust, trust out thine enemy from before thee. And shall say, destroy them. Now notice in Psalms chapter 46 verse 1. God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in time of trouble. So the 48 boards represent the 48 cities. The people would flee to the cities of refuge. The people would come to the temple with their lamb, confessing their sins, and have their sins forgiven. So the temple was the refuge. The cities were provided for cities of refuge. But God himself is our city of refuge. And again, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the word took on flesh. And Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden with what? Heavy laden with the burden of sin. All ye that are laboring and are heavy laden, come unto me, and I will give you rest. So, 20 boards on the south side, 20 boards on the north side, 6 boards on the west side, and 2 corner boards, 48 boards, 48 cities of refuge. Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31. 
And thou shall make a veil of blue. The veil separate the holy from the most holy place. Of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twine linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. So the layers, there were four layers. There were blue, there were purple, there were scarlet, and there were linens. The veil was thick. It was heavy. And remember, the boards are over 15 feet tall. So the veil that separated the holy from the most holy place, they were 15 feet tall. Notice in Exodus chapter 26, verse 32. And thou shalt hang it upon four pillars. So here is the veil, and it was set on four pillars with gold. Four pillars of shitting wood overlaid with gold. Again, the wood represents humanity. The gold represents Christ's righteousness. So all of us, all of us humans must be covered by Christ's righteousness. Their hooks shall be of gold and the four sockets of silver. The sockets are the part at the bottom that held the pillars upright. Notice in Exodus chapter 26, verse 34. The veil shall divide unto you between the holy and the most holy place. So here is a veil, the most holy place, and the holy place. Remember, in the most holy place, we had the table with the Ten Commandments. In the holy place, we have a candlestick. We have the table with the showbread, and we have the altar of incense. And the veil hung on four pillars separating the most holy place from the holy place. Jesus is that veil. Notice what Paul said in Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 20. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. We need the blood of Jesus in order to enter spiritually into the heavenly sanctuary now. By a new and living way which he had consecrated for us through the veil that is to say his flesh. Now, we're going to come to this in another study. The priest would sprinkle blood on this veil. When a person sinned, they would confess their sins on that animal that would die. Most of the time would be a lamb. The priest would pour some of the blood at what was called the altar of burnt sacrifice. We haven't covered it as yet. And he would sprinkle some of the blood on the veil. The Bible said that the veil represents Jesus' flesh. So the sins were transferred to the veil. It's the same way when Jesus came to this earth, he took our sins upon him. In the book Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible said, God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sins to the cross. 
Jesus did not take the Ten Commandments to the cross. If Jesus had taken the Ten Commandments to the cross, then our sins would still be on us. But he took our sins to the cross. Jesus died for the sins of this world. And that's what John said in the book of John. Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. So when Jesus died on the cross, he died for my sins. My sins were placed on the cross. Not the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 26. Start. Continue reading in verse 26, 36. And thou shalt make an hanging for the door of the tent of blue and purple and scarlet and fine twined linen work with needlework. And thou shalt make for the hanging five pillars. So notice, one, two, three, four, five, and there's a curtain to enter from the court into the holy place. Five pillars out here of shittim wood overlaid with gold, and their hooks shall be of gold, and thou shalt cast five sockets of brass for them. If you remember, the pillars between the holy and the most holy had silver sockets. But the pillar from the court to the holy place had brass socket. As you get closer into the most holy place, the materials that are used become more precious. From brass socket to silver socket. From brass on the outside to silver to gold. John chapter 5, verse 46. Had he believed Moses, you would have believed me, for Moses wrote with me. Brothers and sisters, where did Moses write about Jesus? You will never find in the writing of Moses. Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The four five books in the Bible. It's believed that Moses also wrote the book of Job. But the first five books here that Moses wrote that contain all of the, most of the instruction, all the instruction in the laws, in the ceremony. Where did Moses write about Jesus? Moses wrote about Jesus in the sanctuary. The most holy place. The holy place. You had how many? One, two, three, four pillars. Then we had the outer court. And from the outer court to the holy place, we have five pillars. If Moses wrote about Jesus, and Moses wrote five books, then the five pillars on the outer court represented Moses' five books. Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So Moses told us about Jesus and told us what Jesus would do. So as we enter in, we're getting closer to God. As we learn about Jesus in the holy place, we're getting closer to God. But brothers and sisters, when Jesus himself came to this earth, as John said in the book of John chapter 1, 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Then in verse 14 of John chapter 1, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. As we read the Gospels, the four Gospels that tells us about Jesus, brothers and sisters, we will be able to have the information, to have all the requirements, to have all the understanding that we can come boldly unto the throne of grace, as Paul is saying. So, the five outer pillars represent the five books of Moses. The four inner pillars, Okay, my hand hitting it. Okay. So then, the five outer pillars represent the five books of Moses Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The four inner pillars represent the four Gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And with the writing of Moses and the Gospel, we have all the information. That brothers and sisters, again, as Paul said, we now can come boldly. Not because we are big and proud, but because now we have learned to be like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ. Through the writing of Moses and the Gospels, we can be just like Jesus. We can be like our Savior. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said unto him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. The only way for human beings to get back to God, where we have the Shekinah glory on top of the mercy seat, symbolically coming from a life of sin, true the five pillars into the holy place through the light with the bread, with the altar of incense, through the veil, through the four pillars that hold the veil into the most holy place. The only way in is through Jesus. And that's why everything in the sanctuary represents Jesus. 